Hello and good afternoon on this Monday, January 30th of 2023, and welcome back to Doug's Daily Double. I am, of course, Doug Scott, your host. Uh, also host the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck with Andrew and Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Check out that podcast. Check out that site to cover everything uh, leading up to and including signing day this week. First off, I'll apologize for not being with you over the last week or so. My certain intent is to try to do this almost every day, uh, but uh, certainly not taking a week off is, is the, what, I, what I don't want to do. So I'm back. Uh, trying to get back on a regular schedule this week and going forward and and here we are today i have two topics as every day two topics to talk about five to ten minutes per topic every day so it's a quick hitter just a taste just a bite and of course you can always keep tune into the qb11 show for much more in-depth coverage on everything going on in oregon football around the pac-12 conference and of course the national college football landscape both of my topics today kind of touch on nil uh, first off we'll talk a little bit about uh, Nick Saban's comments that were made a, a week or so ago that are getting a lot of attention nationally. And I think I think a lot of the national media take on this is just either, you know, shallow or, or flat out wrong. So I'll give you my thoughts on that. And then secondly, I'll touch a little bit on the news coming out about the NCAA's change and how are they are going to start investigating and pursuing potential NIL violations against their member universities. So let's get to the Nick Saban stuff first. So as has been reported around the landscape of national college football, uh, Nick Saban was at a, I think a coaching clinic or something like that a week or so ago, and there were some other coaches there. And this one of the coaches co quoted this, Someone with one of the best corners in the nation in high school came to me and asked if we'd pay them $800,000 for the player to sign here at Alabama. I told him he could find another place to play, Saban said, according to Baker High School coach Steve Norman, who was there. When asked about the portal, Curtis confirmed that Saban said this, We lost 10 players and one starter to the portal this year. One of them wanted $500,000 and for us to get his girlfriend into law school at Alabama and to pay for it. So I showed him the door, end quote. So there's a lot of stuff around around there. And, and honestly, I, I mean, Nick Saban is the GOAT. There's no questioning that. But I do think at times the national college football media um, treats Nick a little differently than they do everyone else. You know, they kind of deify him a little bit. I don't think, I think they are a little hesitant to do to do or say anything that, that uh, you know, might might go further down the weeds on Nick the, than they would be comfortable with, or certainly I don't think they hold him to the same lens of scrutiny or whatever. Um, but I think a lot of times like stuff like this comes out and everyone's like lauding it as like, oh, Nick's doing things the right way. He wants to do like, okay, first of all, Alabama's paying players just like everybody else. So like, let's not get it twisted. Um, but I'd also say like, okay, if you're Nick Saban and you're Alabama, they might be the only school in the country that has the luxury of doing this. Maybe, maybe Kirby and Georgia would be the second one, but outside of those two schools, like, you, you know, you don't have the luxury of saying, I'm not going to pay you top dollar. I'll pay you less, but you're going to come here and you're going to work hard and you're going to be a first round draft pick because Alabama can sell that. And Georgia can sell that. No one else can sell that. You can't sell these kids to take less money less guarantees and come to your school unless you're Nick Saban. 
unless you're Kirby Smart. So it, it's a little bit disingenuous to say that, that this is some sort of like model that everyone should follow. Everyone can't follow this because they don't have a roster full of five stars to pick from. They don't have 10 other guys in the top 100 at the same position lining up to take this spot if this guy, you know, that wants too much money if you turn him down. Like those guys aren't lining up. Like if you're if you're one of these other schools, every other school, and you've got a top 50 kid on the line, you either pay the going rate or you don't get him. And then you're getting a top 200 guy or 250 guy instead. So it, it, let's let's be a little honest here about what Nick is sacrificing in the sake of honor. And it's and it's getting another top 50 guy instead of this top 50 guy. So you know it's a little bit silly. And I think the deification of Nick in the in the national media landscape is a little bit. A little bit off-putting to me, as always. But, you know, obviously he's earned his place in the sport and he's earned the ability to have those advantages through his development of players and his winning over the years. So good for him. It's not something that everyone else can, of course, replicate so easily. Let me flip over to my other topic now, uh, and that's on the NIL. So something that came out over the weekend, and this was first reported by Mitt Winter of uh, at Winter Sports Law. So he is an NIL attorney. He's a great follow on Twitter if you really, really care about the ins and outs of, of NIL law and NIL policy, particularly on the legal side of it. It's it's not necessarily the most uh, you know exciting thing from a football perspective, but it is very informative. And he broke the story um, over the weekend or kind of early last week or late last week or over the weekend. And it really didn't get a lot of buzz until it's starting to pick up steam today. But the NCA made it came out and made an announcement last week um, that they are going to change the way that they pursue NIL cases. So, you know, the, the NCA, just like all other quasi judicial or quasi legal organizations or investigative bodies, you know, operate off of kind of the common law standard and, and U.S. jurisprudence standard of, you know, um, innocent until proven guilty, right? Like, um, but what's interesting in their new policy that they released is now they are going to presume guilt. They're going to presume guilt and it will be up to the school to prove that they're innocent in the cases of NIL infractions. <clears throat> so the policy from the NCA reads as thus. When available information supports that the behaviors leading up to, surrounding, and or related to an NIL agreement or activity were contrary to the NCAA Division I legislation and or the interim NIL policy, the enforcement staff and the NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions shall presume a violation occurred. So if there's evidence, they will presume you are guilty. To rebut this presumption of a violation, the institution must clearly demonstrate that all behaviors complied with NCA legislation and interim NIL policy. So that's a sea change in how the NCA does investigations. Of course, they still don't have subpoena powers, um, which I think is one of the problems and why they haven't been able to to really crack the nut on any of these cases so far. In a lot of cases, there, there isn't evidence. There just isn't evidence. And, and the NCA is saying, well, now we, we don't care if we get evidence, if we get a rumor, if we get a tip. And there were some further um, further uh, posts on that today around SI. Ross Dellinger over at SI wrote this today, wrote an article today about this. I would definitely recommend reading it. Um, but he's got some quotes from the enforcement staff. And here's what it says. Investigators can now use circumstantial evidence like a tip or a news story instead of on-record sources to presume that a school has violated NCA rules. 
Schools then can disprove the allegation or else be potentially charged. So basically what they're saying is, if somebody calls us up and gives us an anonymous tip or tells us, hey, we heard so-and-so did this, you got to go check that out. They can presume you're guilty and force you to prove you're not. Well, what's the, <laughs> how is that going to work? What if there just isn't evidence any of anything? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but some, some one of your rival schools, you know, made something up, reported it. That's their what the, their quote unquote evidence are going off of. And you're like, I can't disprove a negative. I can't disprove something that didn't happen. There's no evidence to something that didn't happen. What the hell is going to happen then? Like, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. I don't know how this is going to work. I think there's a couple of cases in the pipeline. They've been pretty quiet on. I think one of them is definitely Miami. Others, we'll see how that comes out. But I think this whole new standard of presumption of guilt is going to be their their way of approaching this going forward, approaching NIL violations going forward and hoping to actually be able to make, uh, you know, to make some cases and, and get some some charges levied. I, I just I, I, I'm just. Look, however you feel about NIL, like whether you're for it, whether you're against it, I mean, it's here to stay. And let's be honest, too. It's not NIL. None of this stuff is NIL. OK, sure. Dr. Pepper paying Bryce Young. That's an NIL deal. 99% of, quote, NIL deals, unquote, that are out there across college football and across college sports are at, are pay for play. Let's just be honest and call it what it is. You're either paying a recruit to commit to your school. You're paying a kid that's on your roster to stay at your school instead of portaling to somewhere else. Or you're paying someone at another school to transfer to your school. It's all pay for play. There's different flavors of it. There's different varieties of it. There's different schools that are participating at different levels. And some are playing in all three of those varieties. Some are only playing in one or two. But it's all pay for play at the end of the day. Like the, the, none of these deals are market rate deals for name, image, and likeness. Very, very few. There are not none, but very, very few. So <laughs> it's, it, it's here to stay. It's a big gray area. It's a big freaking mess. We all know that. I don't know what the NCAA thinks they're going to do with this. I'm really curious to see how this falls out, how these schools like decide to cooperate or not cooperate. What happens if, and that's the other factor too, is like the school themselves isn't the one, it, it, you know, negotiating the deal. So if let's say the Gator Collective is accused by the NCA based on some hearsay or a report that's in the news that they've done something inappropriate against the NIL policy, and then the NCAA doesn't go to the Gator Collective, they go to the University of Florida and say, you guys are presumed guilty of NIL violations for something this other entity did. How the heck does that work? And how is the University of Florida supposed to produce evidence that they don't have because the deal wasn't made through them that they are innocent? Uh, all this smells to me like something that's going to end up in court sooner rather than later. And ultimately you know, that will determine whether whether or not, you know, this goes forward and how the NCAA is able to prove. Look, I get a lot of coaches and a lot of fans and a lot of administrators around the country want the NCAA to do something on NIL enforcement. And I'm certainly no defender of the NCAA um, at, at all. But the reality is they are so neutered on this topic right now with the court cases that have come against them over the last few years with 37 different state laws regarding NIL across the country and with with all the gray money that's in here, the lack of subpoena power, the lack of, of um, 
you know, Congress stepping in to do anything. The NCA is so powerless on this topic, but they're certainly going to try. It sounds like they're going to double their enforcement staff. They're going to beef it up. They're going to come after schools with a, this newfound presumption of guilt. And I'm just really fascinated to see how it all plays out because I don't think it's going to work out the way the NCAA and the member schools that are pushing for this um, probably hope it does and, and think it will. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, that's going to about do it. Obviously, we got signing day coming up in two days um, for Oregon. The big the big uh, targets on the board are, of course, five star athlete Nicholas Harbor, who was in town at Oregon over the weekend to check out both the track program and facilities, as well as the football program and facilities and everything there. Uh, you know, all accounts is his um, you know visit went really well. He's going to make his decision on signing day on Wednesday between Oregon, Michigan, South Carolina, and Maryland. So watch out for that. Oregon could add another five-star to this uh, top 10 class that they have. And then the other target, of course, is Roderick Pleasant out of Southern California. It's a USC versus Oregon battle here. It's another guy who wants to run track. That may be something that's helping Oregon in this recruitment. Uh, they did not get a late visit from him this past weekend like they were hoping to. I think he's been to USC a lot. He's local to USC. I think they're the favorite in his commitment, but it sounds like the Ducks aren't out of it yet. So it could be, could be a splashy day on Wednesday for Oregon, so stay tuned to that. And, of course, we will be covering it on the QB11 show, and Justin, of course, and his staff will be covering it over on ScoopDuck.com. I'll be back at you tomorrow with two more topics. Thanks again for listening to Doug's Daily Double. Have a great day.